At the end of the book of Matthew, uh, his biography on Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, uh, Matthew records for us that Jesus, before he ascends up to heaven, gives the marching orders for the church. He tells his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that he has commanded them. And surely, I'm with you always to the very end of the age, Jesus said. He said to the church, go and make followers of Jesus. And we take that message very seriously uh, because it's only through our preaching, our teaching, through baptism uh, that disciples are made and people are are saved. People then go to heaven. And so we take that message very seriously uh, here at Peace. And there are several ways that we try to do this in, in our congregation here. Uh, We get out in the community and build bridges so we can spread the gospel. Uh, We participate in events and and things like that to build bridges. Uh, We also do a new movers list. And so when when people move to the area, uh, we get a gift bag together and we go and we deliver it to their house. And how it looks is I go ring the doorbell. I'm Stephen. I'm the pastor at Peace Lutheran Church. We just want to welcome you to the neighborhood with this gift. Now I always ask them two questions. Are you finding everything okay? And is there anything I can pray for you about today? And lately, those conversations, uh, I guess, have been, well, aren't going as well as I would like them to go. Uh, a lot lately, what I've been getting is I ring the doorbell, I tell them who I am, and I get eye rolls. I get a sigh, as if they're disappointed they answered their door. I get people who are annoyed that I've interrupted their day. And after two or three of those in a row, do you know what that does to me? (laughs) I'll be honest. I get into my car and it changes my prayer a little bit. Uh, I'm not proud to admit it, but I'm going to. I get in the car and I pray uh, instead uh, of asking God to let the next person be home, I say, God, please don't let anyone be home so that I can just leave the gift on the doorstep and if they're interested, they can come. Or my prayer is, Lord, if somebody does answer, let them be nice to me. Don't let me annoy them. Let it be a good conversation. Maybe you've experienced that before. Maybe not knocking on somebody's door and and trying to talk to them about Jesus, but you know you're going into a situation where you know Christianity and Jesus might be brought up, and, and instead of praying that God help you speak boldly, we pray, don't let Christianity be brought up. And then it is. And you kind of sheepishly say, I'm a Christian. And the way you say it, what does it convey? It conveys, I'm expecting backlash, and please have mercy on me. Don't call me names or ridicule me. Please just, yes, I'm a Christian. Let's not talk about it, though. And just admitting that, we're disappointed in ourselves, aren't we? We're disappointed because the gospel message of Jesus, the fact that He saved us, the fact that He wants to save all people, and that He has saved all people, and that He wants all people to know it, we want them to know this. Because this is everything to us. We want people to know this. And so how in the world can we pray to speak boldly? How can we change our prayer from, Lord, make this person have mercy on me, don't let them be home, to, Lord, help me speak Your Word boldly. We're going to look at that today uh, as John and Peter give us an example of what this looks like in the book of Acts, chapter 4.
As I mentioned at the beginning of the service, we're picking up in the story that we started two weeks ago. In in chapter 3, Peter and John, they go to the temple, and as they enter the temple, there's a man who is uh, sitting there begging for money who hasn't been able to walk since his birth. And so Peter and John go up, and they say, In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, walk. And this man, who hasn't been able to walk for 40 years, stands up and starts praising God. All the people in the temple surround Peter and John, and Peter and John start preaching about Jesus. Who he is, what they've done to him, and what Jesus has done for them. And everyone starts believing in Jesus. More and more people are are coming to faith in Jesus and praising God. And then, the priests, the temple guard of the Jewish people who don't believe in Jesus, come and arrest Peter and John and throw them in prison overnight. The next day they they get up and they get taken in front of the Jewish ruling council and they tell Peter and John, stop talking about Jesus. And they threaten them. It's after these threats that they leave. And that's where we pick up in Acts chapter 4, beginning with verse 23. Uh, We're going to read the whole thing at one time here. And it's printed for you on the back of your next page if you'd rather follow along that way. um, Or it'll be printed up on the screen here. Verse 23. On the release, after being threatened, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After they prayed, the place they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Do you think that Peter and John were a bit scared? Do you think they were fearful and worried? Absolutely. They had to have been. Uh, Yes, they're pretty bold and pretty courageous. That's what we see on the pages of Scripture. But they're still human beings we're talking about. And they were just threatened by the same people who killed Jesus. So of course they were scared. Of course they were filled with fear. Of Of course they were probably worried. And yet, did you notice what their prayer was? It wasn't that God take their threats away. It wasn't that God take all the the bad people away so that they can preach to people who actually want to hear it. Uh, It was, God, enable us to speak your word boldly, even in the face of persecution. Help us to preach your word boldly. How in the world could they pray that prayer? I've already told you, I've already admitted at the beginning of the sermon here that when I face even just eye rolls, my prayer changes. 
they were faced with threatened, the threat for their life, and yet they pray, help us to speak boldly. It's because of what their prayer contained. What they did was they first aligned their emotions with God's truth. They aligned their emotions with God's truth before they prayed this prayer. Before they asked God to help them speak boldly, they took their feelings and their emotions and they aligned them with what God's truth said. Emotions aren't a bad thing. God created you and created all people as emotional beings. Jesus himself was emotional. Uh, He had emotions throughout Scripture. God is described as having emotions. Emotions aren't bad. Emotions become bad when we're captivated by them, driven, motivated, or demotivated, in this case, by our emotions. That's when, motivation, that's when emotions become bad, when they control us. And in this case, we're talking about demotivation, right? Because what demotivates us when we preach God's Word and proclaim God's Word? Fear. It's fear. And that demotivates us from proclaiming Jesus. And so we're going to look at the disciples' prayer here, and we're going to see two ways that they align themselves with God's truth that enabled them to then pray boldly to proclaim God's Word. Okay? We're going to start in verse 24. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, You made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. What did they just do? They aligned themselves with the truth that God has all power. You made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, they said. These disciples were just threatened. What happens to your faith when you're threatened? Either humiliated, eye rolls, people are annoyed, they call you ignorant for being a Christian. What happens to your faith? It gets strained a little bit, right? The disciples were just threatened, and so their faith was probably drained. And where do they go back to? They plug in to their source of power, the almighty, all-powerful God. Just like a laptop battery drains when it's not connected to its source of power, and then you plug it back in and it, and it fills back up, that's what happens to our faith. When we're apart from God, our, our, our faith drains, and then we plug back into the all-powerful God, and our faith gets filled back up. And they plug into the all-powerful God who's created everything. Everything that we see, everything that we know, everything that we don't know, God has created. On February 15th, NASA made an announcement of this year. Anybody hear it? Anyone know what it was? They discovered 95 planets in a different galaxy. They sent a Kepler telescope. Don't ask me what it is. (laughs) They sent a Kepler telescope out to the outer edges of our galaxy, and they were able to see into a different galaxy, and they found 95 planets, a giant bright star, and one of those 95 planets is orbiting that giant bright star as our planets orbit the sun. NASA obviously was very excited about this. This is one of the greatest discoveries that NASA has found out in recent times. And yet, this wasn't news to God, was it? 
this wasn't brand new news to the God of the world because when God said, let there be, way back at the beginning of the time, He placed those planets in that galaxy orbiting that star. He placed them out there. He created them. The God of this world is so powerful that He created everything that we know. He created everything that we don't know that we're still discovering. He, he created the, the depths of the earth to the farthest, farthest distant planet that we could ever find. God created it all. Simply by speaking. And this God is a God that's on your side. And that's what the disciples remind themselves of. God, you are the creator of the heavens and the earth. We all face situations, we all face events that happen in our life that cause us to fear, that cause us to worry, uh, and, and be filled with nervousness and anxiousness. And when those times come, come back to this prayer. Sovereign Lord, You are the Maker. You are the Creator of the heavens and the earth. This is how much power You have. And You say You're on my side. That means You have power over this event that is causing me so much fear right now. You have power over it. That's what the disciples do. You may notice that we actually confess this every single Sunday when you confess the Apostles' Creed. You are tapping into this all-powerful God. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. This is a God who's on your side. So first they align themselves with how God is all-powerful. The second is they align themselves with the truth that God has all control. Here's what they say. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against His anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Herod, Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles, non-Jewish people, and the Israelites, Jewish people, they all banded together to conspire against God and against Jesus. And that night, when they arrested Jesus, it seemed like they had a lot of control and a lot of power. As the disciples stood in the Garden of Gethsemane, things started to unravel pretty quickly, and they started to lose control pretty quickly. They arrested Jesus first, brought Jesus before the Jewish ruling council, and the Jewish ruling council condemned Jesus to death. Things are spinning out of control. The, the people seem to have more and more control, but then Jesus goes to King Herod and Pontius Pilate. Surely they have to carry out justice, right? No. They give in to the people, and they condemn Jesus to death as well. Everything spun out of control for the disciples within 12 hours. And it seemed like these people had it all. Ninety days removed, the disciples are saying this prayer because they finally understand nothing happens outside of God's control. People can only do what God allows them to do. And they quote Psalm 2. This is King David uh, writing uh, around 1000 BC. He says, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? 
people who conspire against God, people who try to overthrow Him, are simply plotting in vain because God is the one who's all in control. The disciples stopped at verse 2 here, but if we were to read verse 3, it says, The one enthroned in heaven laughs. God laughs when people try to conspire against Him, when people try to plot against Him, because He's all-powerful and He has all control. Unless if He allows something to happen, it will never happen. We live in a world and a society that, that seems to be spinning out of control. I mean, you turn on the news at night and it's just all depressing. It's all bad news. And it seems like we, and good people in general, are losing control. And to be fair, there are people across the world who are plotting and conspiring against God. The latest group was ISIS. But they cannot do anything unless God allows it. God has all control. And this is what the disciples align themselves with. Jesus, God, you have control over these people who just threatened us. You have control. And do you know what that does for you and me? It gives us peace and confidence even in, even in bad times. Because bad things are going to happen to us. We live in a sinful world. Bad things are going to happen. But we can be at peace and we can, be, uh, and we can have confidence knowing that the God of this world has all control over all situations of life. So the disciples, they aligned themselves first with God has all power. Then they said, God has all control. Fear, God has all power, God has all control. And that includes the situation. And then, they're able to pray this prayer. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. God, you have power over these people who just threatened our life. You have control over the situation. You have control over my life. I'm going to pray boldly to speak your word with great boldness. We know the same thing that the disciples do, right? We know God has all power. We know that he has all control. And yet, how come our prayer doesn't reflect this? How come ours reflect more of begging God from keeping us from humiliation? It's not because we don't think God has all control. We know He does. It's not because we don't believe He has all power. We know He does. He's the all-powerful God. It's that we just don't trust Him to use His power and His control for our good, according to us. God's good and our good doesn't, don't always line up because we don't see how being humiliated is good. We don't see how tragedies in our life are good. We don't see how cancer could possibly be good for us or for our loved ones. And so we don't trust God to use His power and use His control to, give our, to, to make our life good the way we want it to be good. That's where our problem comes. And it's the same when we preach God's Word. We don't trust that God isn't going to uh, lead us into humiliation. We don't trust that He's going to keep us from the eye rolls or from the awkward conversations. And we don't see how those things can be good, and so we keep silent because we don't want to face that. 
But understand this. Every time you have a conversation with somebody, every time I have a conversation with somebody, Jesus is standing next to you. And He's waiting to be introduced to that person. Because He died for that person. He loved that person enough to live and die for them just like He loved you enough to live and die for you. And so there He stands, waiting to be introduced. And if you can kind of picture this, uh, He's standing there, and as you're talking, He kind of is looking back and forth, waiting for you to introduce Him. And yet there I stand, afraid that this person's going to uh, make fun of me, make fun of me for being friends with Jesus. And so I keep silent because I trust that I'm going to face humiliation more than I trust Jesus to use His power and control to change that person's heart. And so I keep silent. And so what do we do? We align ourselves, right, with God's truth. Who is God? He's the all-powerful God. What does He do? He has all control, including the situation that we're in, no matter what it is. And it's because we know that And as we constantly go back to this, that then we can pray boldly to your Sovereign Lord to speak boldly about your Sovereign Lord. And that's what the disciples do. They pray boldly to the Sovereign Lord who has all control and all power to speak boldly about your Sovereign Lord who has all control and all power. When the disciples prayed this prayer, They were not the only people on the earth. They were not the only Christians on the earth. God had so many people to be concerned about. He had so many galaxies to be concerned about. And yet, what happened at the end? God showed that He was there by shaking this room and saying to the disciples, basically, I love you, I'm here with you, speak the word boldly. That same God is with you wherever you go. That same powerful, all-controlling God, He's with you wherever you go. There are over 7 billion people on this planet. We heard there's 95 new planets that we just discovered in a different galaxy. And God is concerned about it all. And yet, He loves you so much that He is with you every single minute of every single day. And He's using His all-power and all of His control for your good. Imagine how long it would take to talk to the president about something. You had a problem, you had some fear about national security, you want to call him up just to, for him to calm your fears. Imagine how long it would take. You can't just call the White House. You certainly can't just walk up to the White House door, knock on it, go into the Oval Office and say, hey, president, I want to talk about stuff. You can't do that. And yet the God of this world invites you into his throne room And he doesn't say, hey, come travel to me first. He says, I'm bringing it to you. Wherever you are, every second of every day, you can come into my throne room and talk to me. And I have all power over everything. I have all control over everything. Come, talk to me. The Bible says that Jesus will be with us wherever we go. The Bible says wherever two or three are gathered in his name, their God is with us. He is with you wherever you go. And He loves you so much. And He wants a relationship with you so badly that He was willing willing to give up His only Son for you. You want to talk about something amazing. The all-powerful God knew 
all the times that we'd sinned. The all-powerful and all-controlling God knew how we would not trust Him before He even created the world. And yet He said, I love you enough that I'm going to send my own Son to die in your place because I want a relationship with you that badly. God could have wiped the human race off the face of the planet and started over with a a, a race that would actually love Him perfectly. But He didn't. Because He loves you that much. Who are we that the Lord of all the earth should care to know our name? And yet He does. And He is all-powerful and has all control over your life, even death. And He's working all things for your eternal good to bring you home to heaven. And so it's because we know this. Just like the disciples, we know that He's all-powerful, that He has all control. It's because we know this that we can boldly pray this prayer that the disciples did. Because we want everyone else to know this truth too. That the God of this world is on their side. The God of this world has saved them. The God of this world has taken away their sins. Heaven is theirs too. And so today, we are going to pray to close, and we are going to pray this prayer. I'll go ahead and say it. Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth, and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage, and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against His anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.